Last week we began a series through the book of Acts, and we are titling this series, The Kingdom Comes. I had initially thought of calling it, Thy Kingdom Come, the prayer, and that would be appropriate, but it seemed almost more fitting to just call it, The Kingdom Comes, or The Kingdom is Coming. That's what the book of Acts is about. Remember what the kingdom is, first of all, okay? The, the kingdom is the universal So it's to cover the whole earth. It's the everlasting, it's never to end, rule and reign of God over all this earth in and through his Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom. So we saw last week that this kingdom has come already in the enthronement of the king. The king has been seated, brothers and sisters, He is not going to be seated more thoroughly later. He is seated in full now on his throne. Let us not underestimate the implications of that for us as his people. So it has come in his enthronement. We saw last week that the kingdom will come one day. There's still a sense in which we speak of it will come one day when the king himself personally returns to this earth and his throne upon which he sits is set up among us, okay? So it's not like he's waiting to be seated then. He is seated now, but one day he will be seated on his throne among us personally, and his kingdom will come in its fullness. So between the fact that his kingdom has already come and will come, we also saw last week that this kingdom is coming. It is in the process of coming even now, in his present rule and reign. So the book of Acts is an account of the coming of this kingdom. That's what the book of Acts is. In the days of the apostles. We saw that a longer title for the book of Acts might be this. And we, you know, we say Acts, and it's like we don't even think about it. Acts, that's just the title. But Acts refers to the acts that someone does. And so the acts of who? We don't know that it was originally called the Acts of the Apostles. Maybe, perhaps it was. But in any case, the best title probably would be this. The acts of God in Jesus Christ the King by the power of the Holy Spirit through his apostles. And we saw last week a fuller. We went on and on for a while with that. I'm going I'm to skip ahead now. We're going to read in verses 1 to 6, the opening verses of Acts chapter 1. The first account, O Theophilus, I composed, which was the Gospel of Luke, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over forty days, and speaking about the things concerning the kingdom of God, which had come, was coming, and would come one day. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, now I sent out an email and I said, what was my question to all of you? What are the disciples thinking? And at this point, look at what we've just read. We've heard a lot about the Holy Spirit and about Jesus. He's resurrected. He's speaking to them about the kingdom. 
and, and they're to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. And that all sounds good to us. And then the disciples living in their own little world over there, right? At least that's how we can tend to think, see it. They ask this ridiculous question. Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And we're all like throwing up our hands. Why haven't they got it yet? Right. Well, you, as the entitled Gentiles that we are. Right? And I think that's what we are, right? Let's just own it. I think we're all entitled Gentiles. Right? At some level. Because we ask this question. As the entitled Gentiles we are, we get impatient with questions like the disciples are asking. Maybe we feel indignant. Like I think of my, my first thought in comparison was like John, uh, the other disciples when James and John asked Jesus, can we have the places of honor at your right and left hand? And all the disciples heard that and like, what are you thinking? You think you're so great? Better than we are? Maybe we're amused by the disciples. Maybe we're just kind of shaking our heads sadly. Their continued blindness. Do they really think still that the kingdom is only for them and for their people, the Jews, and not for us, the Gentiles. Don't they know by now that the Gentiles, that's us, are of no less significance or of of no less importance than the Jews are? So there are some who say, accordingly, that the disciples are just completely and totally misguided. Um, Calvin writes who I generally quote Calvin with gratefulness and and approvingly. In this instance, I'm not. He writes, there are as many errors in this question as words. And he explains why he, he holds to that. Others do as well. But my question is this. Are the disciples really so misguided? Is their question really so full of errors? Listen to the question. Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? I want to start out with this question. What does our reaction to this question tell us about ourselves? And what were the disciples really thinking? Maybe it's time we gave them a break. Maybe it's time we needed to be a little convicted. So this morning... We're going to try to enter their mind. We're going to try and be them. And so we can understand. Okay. So, we were born and we were raised Jews. We were born and raised as circumcised members and now in a patriarchal society. I'm going to speak as as men to the men and then our households are included. So we were born and raised circumcised members of the people that Yahweh chose. That's, that's our identity. That's what we boast in. That's what we, that's what we glory in. We are children of Abraham. We claim Abraham as our forefather of Isaac, of Jacob. To each of whom Yahweh appeared personally. <laughs> And gave his promises. So Abraham, he lived over 2,000 years ago. Now we're not talking about Jesus 2,000 years from now. We're we're 
We're these disciples now. And Abraham was 2,000 years previously. Moses lived over 1,400 years ago. So we are now an ancient people. It's hard for us as Americans to identify with this kind of identity. (laughs) But we are an ancient people. Our history as God's chosen covenant people spans generation after generation after generation going back centuries. We were born and raised as members of this chosen people. And so we pray with the words of King David. And when we pray these words, we are just full of amazement and full of thanksgiving for the truth of them. Listen, these are, these are the words we pray. What one nation on the earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people? God did that for no other nation. He came and redeemed us out of Egypt as a people and to make a name for himself and to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land before your people whom you had redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. Yet you have established for yourself your people Israel as your own people forever. And you, O Yahweh, have become their God. We love, we love to pray those words. So as members of this people, Israel, we rejoice, we do, we're amazed that because of God's sovereign choice and election, he chose, he elected, he out of all the families of the earth chose Abraham, called him, and his children, that therefore to us belongs the adoption as sons. Now as a Jew, this is my identity, this is what I glory in, the covenants, the giving of the law the temple service, the promises, and the fathers, and from us as the Jewish people is the Christ, the Messiah, according to the flesh. We humbly exult. See, some people think I can't exult without being proud. No, I can exult and be humble. In fact, it's because I'm exulting in this that it causes my humility. We humbly exult with the words of Moses who said this, what great nation is there? that has a God so near to it as is Yahweh, our God, whenever we call on him. But what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law? And what's the answer to that? None. There is no other nation without any arrogance, without any arrogance, and I'm giving the best benefit of the doubt, okay, without any arrogance or any self-righteous pride, We sing, we sing with the psalmist. Yahweh declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise Yah. He is not rejoicing in the fact that they don't know. I'm so glad and I hope they never do. No, he's just saying, look, we didn't deserve it either. No more than they did. And yet, look, he has given us his law and his statutes. He's not dealt thus with any other nation. Praise the Lord for his mercy and grace. Now, does this mean then that we, as Jewish disciples, as the Jewish disciples, does this mean we think that as long as you're a circumcised Jew, then you and your household will all automatically get to go into the kingdom at the resurrection? No, that's not, that's not what we think. And don't, don't tell me I think that. 
right? Does this mean that we think all Gentiles are, are excluded? They're kept out. Does this mean that's what we disciples think? They can never experience to any extent the privileges that have been given to us. No, not at all. That's not what we think. As Jews, we also love to pray with our, our famous King Solomon, who said, when a foreigner who is not of, and look at the phrase we use, your people Israel. When he comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people. Israel. So we don't, I'm trying to help you get into the Jews' minds, but we are the Jews, so we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're having their mind here. Do you have their mind for a little while as Jews? You're not Gentiles, you're Jews. This, this, this changes everything if you're a Jew at that time. We don't begrudge the Gentiles any hope of salvation. We don't begrudge them participation in our blessings. But we do know this, and here's the key. This is hard for us as Gentiles. I know we're flipping back and forth between Jews and Gentiles, but this is hard for us as Gentiles to get. As Jews, we do know that without God's revelation of himself in and through his covenant with us, with the Jews, his specially chosen people, without that, the Gentiles, in your handout, keywords, as Gentiles would have no hope without us, without the covenant God made with us, the Jewish people. The Gentiles, as Gentiles, would be, have no hope and be without God in the world. That's just the truth of the matter. Be a Gentile for a moment again. Where is, what, what, how do we respond to that? It's not fair. Well, that's not a correct response. I, I, I think we understand that. But. So as a Jew, we love to hear the confession of Rahab the Canaanite. We love that story of Rahab the Canaanite. When she spoke to the two Israelite spies, so she's speaking to Jews and she, that she sheltered, and she says, Yahweh, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. We love the story of Ruth, the Moabite, who said to her Jewish mother-in-law, Naomi, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And we love the story of Naaman, the Syrian, who was healed of his leprosy in one of the rivers of Israel, and who said to the prophet Elisha, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth from this land of Israel. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but Yahweh. So as, as, Jews, as Jews here, we know that without God's revelation of himself in and through his covenant with us, his specially chosen people, none of these Gentiles, Naaman, Ruth, 
Rahab or any of the others, as Gentiles, could have any salvation. And yet stories like Rahab and Ruth and Naaman were pretty few and far between. They didn't happen a lot. After the exile, as Jews, our people were sent out because of our sin into the nations. Then there was an increase in the number of Gentiles who converted to our faith. And who confessed Yahweh, the God of Israel, to be the only true God. They said, yes, the God of Israel, I, will, I want to claim him as my God too. So we were God's chosen people. That's who we are. It's our identity. It's what we glory in. This is not about pride and arrogance for the believing and faithful and humble Jew. This is just about what we glory in. Yahweh was the God of Israel. And so the Gentiles, as Gentiles, were excluded from the hope of Israel. As Gentiles. The hope they found was only in and through Israel. They were without God in the world. But insofar as the Gentiles came to believe there was no other God in all the earth but the true God who was in Israel, then they could come to benefit from our hope. Especially since the exile, our hope in the Messiah has grown, has become stronger. The king of Israel, that's the prophet said, was coming. So as faithful Jews, which is who we are, We looked for a Messiah, and this is what we saw. This is what we pictured. A Messiah who would restore our people. Because we're all scattered around among the nations. And then we were called back, but really, most of the Jews were still scattered. And then even in in the land, we were under oppression. So we looked for a Messiah who was going to restore our people. And establish Israel at the center of a worldwide kingdom. Not... Not, you, all, you all think that all we ever wanted was a carnal, materialistic kingdom. Some of us did, but that's not what the believing Jews wanted. Yes, it was going to be an earthly, it was going to be a kingdom for real. Like, I'm, I'm material. So it was going to be a real kingdom. But it was going to be a kingdom of righteousness. A kingdom of peace. A kingdom of joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what we Jews wanted. So we looked for this day. The Messiah would come. The King. He would restore our people. He would set Israel up at the center. Of a worldwide kingdom. Of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so we clung to these prophecies. From Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel. Are you getting into their heart. In their mind. Their psyche. Right? We got to get into the Jews psyche. Which was a psyche informed. By the revelation of God. Through his prophets. Let's stop being such entitled Gentiles. Let us understand. This will do a work then in our hearts. So we clung to prophecies like these from Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel. Isaiah chapter 44. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. We glory. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. Here's this phrase we're going to hear a lot. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am Yahweh's. Another of your descendants will call in the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand belonging to Yahweh and name himself by the name of 
Israel. In Ezekiel, we see the same picture. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, and as a Jew, how, are you, how am I reading this prophecy? Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery that they have practiced against me. When they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of peace, of joy, of righteousness. I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord Yahweh. Joel chapter 2, and I'm only picking three of the, of the there's others. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am Yahweh your God and there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, all Israel. All flesh there in context, when the Jews read it, they would not have heard all flesh Jews and Gentiles, they would have heard all flesh, not just the prophetic group in, in Israel, but all Israel. All Israel will have the Spirit poured out. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. So the new age of the kingdom we understood, was going to be the new age of the Spirit. This is is our identity as a people. This is our psyche. This is our hope. So based on these prophecies, we envisioned the coming kingdom of the Messiah. We looked into the future and we longed and we waited for this picture of a kingdom with a Jewish Israel. Let me specify a Jewish Israel at its center. And then the surrounding Gentile nations converted to Judaism, or else subjugated and destroyed because they refused, but converted to Judaism and making annual pilgrimages to worship the God of Israel in Jerusalem. What a glorious picture that was. No longer was Israel um, oppressed and despised by the nations, but now Israel was, was looked to by the nations as the only true God dwelling in its midst and the Gentiles would come and worship. And so we looked at Isaiah chapter 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Israel, that he may teach us, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. What a glorious picture this is. So we pictured a kingdom where you can see it now. Like in the past, you'd get an occasional Ruth, an occasional Rahab, an occasional Naaman. All of a sudden now, we've got multitudes of Rahabs and Ruths and Naamans. They're all finding salvation through God's revelation of himself in a new covenant, a new covenant that he would make with us, with the Jews, as his specially 
chosen people. We didn't see that changing. Even as he had made the old covenant with us. He made the old covenant with us, make the new covenant with us. We read in Jeremiah chapter 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. When I hear those words, we can, we can think, you know, we can feel as Gentiles, yeah, without hope, without God in the world. As Gentiles, without hope, without God in the world. Without hope, without God in the world. Without hope, without God in the world. Here's the promise of a new covenant made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. Now, we listen to this as Gentiles with one set of thoughts, but as Jews, we listen to this with an entirely different set of thoughts. We're not being proud. We're not being arrogant. We know, we know that we did nothing to deserve being God's chosen people. I know there's a bunch of us that thought that we did, but don't put me in with that group. Don't put us in with that group. We know we didn't deserve being chosen. In fact, we deserved only to be cast off and rejected, didn't we? We know that. But he chose us. Nonetheless, that's a beautiful word. He chose us nonetheless. And he swore to us he would never cast us off. And we rejoiced in that. How could we not? We exulted in that. And so we waited. We waited for the fulfillment of all our hopes and our coming Messiah and this kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy that he would establish with a Jewish Israel at its center and then all the surrounding Gentile nations streaming to the temple in Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel. It was a glorious hope and picture. So when Jesus the Messiah first called us and sent us out to preach, he instructed us, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now that, you, now that we know the psyche of the Jewish people, can you imagine hearing those instructions? That made perfect sense to us. It makes perfect sense. The kingdom is to be Israel's kingdom. Gentiles will not be excluded. No, of course not. But we assumed, and here's the key, brothers and sisters, my Jewish or Gentile brothers and sisters, whichever we are at the moment, here's the key. We assumed, as Jews, that in your handout, before the Gentile nations could begin streaming to Jerusalem, the kingdom would... What's the word? It would first have to be restored to Israel. That only makes sense. Before the Gentile nations can begin streaming to Jerusalem, the kingdom must first be restored to Israel. So that's why Jesus said, don't go preaching to the Gentiles. Preach to Israel. 
Only after the kingdom was restored to Israel could then that multitude of Rahabs and Ruths and Naamans begin streaming to Jerusalem, finding salvation through God's revelation of himself in the new covenant that he was going to make with us, his chosen people. And so we believed it was in this way that the word Yahweh spoke so long ago to our father, to our father Abraham. Abraham is a word that explains our psyche. It was in this way we believed that word would be fulfilled in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, we never denied that all the families of the earth were going to be blessed. We looked forward to that day. Here's how we saw it happening. This has been our hope for many long centuries. It's how we envisioned the age of the Spirit, Messiah's kingdom, throughout all the generations of our fathers. This is what it meant to us to be Jews. To be the chosen, the chosen people of God. And when I say chosen, I say that only with humility, with no arrogance or pride whatsoever, because he did not choose us for anything he saw in us. Well, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, which, of course, we didn't understand, he came to us on a mountain in Galilee, and he gave us a very different set of instructions than he gave us at the beginning. Now, he told us. Now, if you're into the psyche of the Jewish people, tell me what, tell me what you're thinking when you hear this, okay? Are you there? You've got to be them to appreciate being Gentiles. So, Jesus came to us on this mountain. He gave us this set of instructions. He told us, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Okay? Now, if I'm a Jew, and we all are here, what do we assume that means? If I'm to make disciples, if Jesus is telling me I'm to go make disciples of all nations, that means something has to happen quick. It has to happen quick, fast. Jesus must be about to restore the kingdom to Israel. And you can see why. Because we assumed that only after, in your hand out again, the kingdom had been restored to Israel, would it be possible to make disciples of all nations. Whatever that might look like. I'm not quite sure the disciples were still sure what that looked like. So for a period of 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus would appear to us. He came to us at different times and he kept speaking to us about the things concerning the kingdom of God. He opened our minds. We were seeing a lot. We weren't so blinded as all the Gentiles 2,000 years from now are going to think we were. He opened our minds to understand the scriptures when he said to us, Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So we're starting to get it. Oh, oh, I see. And, then, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And still, we assumed. Before... This gospel can be proclaimed to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Well then, Jerusalem itself is going to have to be liberated from heathen occupation and restored as the city from which Jesus will establish his kingdom of, not a carnal materialistic kingdom, no, a kingdom of righteousness 
and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what we looked for. In your handout again, only after the kingdom had been restored to Israel, could the kingdom then be proclaimed to the Gentile nations, whatever that might look like. Only then could the Rahabs and the Ruths and the Naamans begin flowing to Jerusalem. Right? This is like, now you all see, you all see where this is going, right? Finally, gathering us together, Jesus commanded us not to leave Jerusalem. Now, if you've got the psyche of the Jews and Jesus gets you together and he says, don't leave Jerusalem, what are you thinking? Right? And then he goes on and he says, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Remember all those prophecies about, I will pour out my spirit upon you. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, It was those words about not leaving Jerusalem. It was those words about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, finally, a little bit of a timing note, that finally, finally emboldened us to ask the question that was burning in all of our hearts and minds. Lord, is it at this time? You are restoring the kingdom to Israel. Can we see now how the disciples' question is perfectly understandable? It makes complete sense. It was, in fact, insofar as it goes, the right question to ask. They assume it must be at this time that he'll restore the kingdom to Israel. In your handout, if... They themselves are soon to be proclaiming that kingdom to the Gentiles. Again, this is not about, I don't care about Gentiles and all I want anything to do with the Gentiles. No, this is just, well, this has to happen first, obviously. So, right? Neither is this about a carnal kingdom. It's about a kingdom of the forgiveness of sins, of of righteousness and peace. Okay. That's what the Jews are, the disciples are thinking. But the very fact that they're asking the question betrays their uncertainty. <laughs> right? Because in their, in their minds, they are convinced. I already know it has to be. It is at this time he's restoring the kingdom to Israel. It has to be because he's telling us that we're about to go out and preach to the nations. But yet, why has Jesus waited this long? Why hasn't he been more clear about the timetable? Why do we even have to be asking this question? This a doubt nagging in the disciples' minds. Only now then can we understand how perfectly reasonable, that we understand how reasonable is their question. Can we also understand and rejoice in the answer Jesus gives? Look at what Jesus does now. And appreciate the fact that as Jews, I'm spending so much time on this because this is a big deal in Acts. As Jews, their psyche is about to be reworked. <laughs> but not abandoned, just made new. 
Jesus said to them, in answer to their question, It is not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has set by his own authority. Okay, my fellow Jews, what are you doing with that? That, 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 that's the most crazy answer to this question I could have fathomed. Do we see how strange it must have seemed to the disciples? Here's my question. Here's, here's. How is the timing of the kingdom's restoration to Israel not something important for me to know? When you are calling me to proclaim this kingdom to the Gentiles. Now, Jesus knows what the disciples are thinking. He knows everything that they're thinking. But he also knows you don't just in one word fix it all because this is their psyche. It's going to take time for them to grasp. On the one hand, Jesus knows they're still thinking he's going to stay with them forever. And the kingdom must be coming soon, suddenly, climactically, fully. They envisioned the kingdom coming suddenly, fully. It's done. Boom. And then from that fullness of the kingdom the Gentile nations begin to come in. So Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, what he's saying is, it's like he's taking their question and he's working with it. This is what Jesus does. He takes their question and he works with it. The timing of the restoration of the kingdom to Israel in its climactic, in your handout, fullness, that's not for you to know. Whether it's to be soon or whether it's still a long way off. Okay, I'm reeling as a disciple now. Why? What am I thinking? I'm concluding, therefore, that there's nothing for me to do. (laughs) There's nothing to do until that unknown day that only the Father knows when the kingdom is climactically restored to Israel. If I'm not even to know when it happens, then what am I supposed to do until then? Nothing to do. It is not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has set by his own authority, Jesus says. Therefore, there's nothing for you to do. No, that's not what he said. What did he say? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when is the Holy Spirit going to come upon them? Not many days from now. Oh. It's beginning to process. Jesus quotes from a prophecy in Isaiah about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. See what he's did? He just quoted from a prophecy in Isaiah all about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. And he's saying that prophecy is going to be fulfilled in not many days from now. Isaiah 32. As for the rich city, the houses are deserted. They shall abandon the wealth of the city, the pleasant houses, and the villages shall be caves forever, the joy of wild donkeys, shepherds, pastures. Israel shall be a desolation until the Spirit shall come upon you. It's like a direct quote. Jesus direct quotes. The Spirit shall come upon you from on high. Then Jesus continues. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Not many days from now. And you shall be my witnesses. Jesus quotes again from Isaiah. Yet another prophecy about the restoration of Israel. Isaiah 43, thus says Yahweh. He who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I, I am Yahweh, and besides me there is no Savior. 
And you are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, and I am God. Twice he's quoted from Isaiah. Now we read, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, not many days from now. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the end of the earth. For the third time, Jesus quotes from Isaiah yet another prophecy about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. And now, Yahweh says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant. This is the the servant who is the Messiah speaking. To bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach even to the end of the earth. So what Jesus is saying then is that even though the kingdom is not yet coming climactically, because that's what the disciples were thinking, it is about to be coming with power, spreading throughout all the earth. Do you see then now how Jesus is completely reversing the expected order of things? Read Acts chapter 1 with me again. Verses 6 to 8. Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Why do we think that? Because you're telling us we're going to go out and proclaim the kingdom to the Gentiles. So that's got to come first. Jesus answers. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know when the kingdom is restored climactically to Israel. But that doesn't mean you've got nothing to do. You will receive power. Kingdom power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, quoting over time and time again from Isaiah about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The disciples hear that. They hear the echoes of prophecies about the restoration of Israel. And they begin to think, what is he saying? The disciples assumed only after the kingdom restored to Israel could it then be proclaimed to the Gentile nations. In that scenario, there would always be a distinction between Jews and Gentiles in the kingdom. Do you see why that is? Right? Israel's at the center. Once they're established, the Gentiles can come in. There would always be a distinction between Jews and Gentiles in the kingdom. But what is Jesus saying now? Now, we've got a certain psyche going on here. It's going, to be, it's going to be revolutionary here. Jesus is saying that only after the kingdom has been proclaimed to all the nations can the kingdom then be restored in its fullness to Israel. Hold on now. Why? What's the connection here? Why does, the, why does the kingdom first have to be proclaimed to all the nations before it can be restored in its fullness to Israel? Why? Here's the answer. Because he's saying more than after. He's saying that in fact it is in your handout in 
And through the kingdom being proclaimed to all the nations, it is in and through that task being accomplished that the kingdom is being restored to Israel. And that the kingdom will one day be restored to Israel in its fullness. The very fact that, now let's be Gentiles again, the very fact that that the gospel of the kingdom has been preached to us and that we are being gathered in, in and through that, the the kingdom is being restored to Israel. What is Jesus saying? How will the kingdom be restored to Israel only as this kingdom is proclaimed to all the nations? Oh, the world has been turned upside down and inside out. The kingdom has already come. The king is enthroned. The kingdom is coming now through the gathering in of people from all the nations under the king's authority. And one day, the timing of which no one knows but the Father, the kingdom will come climactically when Jesus returns to reign in person over that vast multitude of people from all the nations of Abraham's and Rahab's and Ruth's and Naaman's. From all the nations that he has gathered in. And it is in his reign over this great multitude that the kingdom is fully restored to Israel. Because it is actually this great multitude that is the new covenant Israel. This Israel is not simply and only and exclusively a Jewish Israel. It is an Israel where Jews and Gentiles exist together. So the new covenant, contrary to the old covenant, is a covenant made not just with ethnic Jews, like that old covenant on Mount Sinai. It's a covenant made with the likes of you and me. Now we're Gentiles. People from every tribe, people from every tongue, and people, and nation. And so this new covenant Israel includes Gentiles, like us. Now on the same footing with Jews. So that one can even say that in Messiah's kingdom, there is neither Jew nor Greek. And so the new covenant Israel includes Gentiles like us. We're all together now, gods and brothers and sisters. Here's the word now that we too can glory in. We are all together now, gods. Chosen. People. What is it to be chosen? That's... That was the psyche, that was what the the people gloried in, and now it's what we have been called to glory in alongside of all our brothers and sisters, Jewish and Gentile. To say that Yahweh is the God of Israel, do you know what that is to say? It is to say that he is. Now, I love this. I'm not just doing this rhetorically. What's the blank? Yeah, there it is. It is to say that he is our God. To say that Yahweh is the God of Israel is to say that he is our God. 
For neither circumcision, being a Jew, counts for anything, says the Jewish Apostle Paul. Nor uncircumcision, being a Gentile, but a new creation. Brothers and sisters, let's stop being the entitled Gentiles that we've been used to being. Especially in America, the, the, the America by which Christianity stands or falls, right? So we have got, now I don't assume anything else I'm saying, but I am saying Christianity does not stand or fall by America. And we have this sense of entitlement as Christian Gentiles, as Gentile Christians. But we ought to see, if we can get rid of that sense of entitlement, the miracle of this, of this new creation. And what is this new creation? Paul says, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And what he's referring to here is the new covenant Israel of God. When we hear the disciples asking Jesus, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? How do we respond? with humility, with understanding. I wonder, would we be willing when we hear the disciples saying that, oh yes, I'm a Gentile, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And then, when we hear the answer Jesus gives, we've just said, hey, yes I am, but I'm a dog, I'm a Gentile dog, right? But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. That's what we've just confessed. We've just, we're just in that place of humility and, and faith and knowing that we don't deserve to be chosen any more than the Jews did. And God is sovereign. And then we hear the answer Jesus gives. An answer the disciples still will not fully understand as, as we can understand now, can't we? It begins to do its work in them, but they're still not going to get it. When we hear Jesus' answer, do we respond with humble amazement and joy? Or do we say, "Mm mm-hmm, yep. With the Apostle Paul, we have been given insight into the mystery of Christ. Which was, it's a mystery, not because we still don't know it, because it was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. It wasn't made known even to the disciples in the earlier part of their life. As it has now been revealed, can't blame the disciples for not getting this one. You cannot blame them for not getting this one. As it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The disciples' question reveals what a miracle this is. And now I want to say one thing before we come to the conclusion. And this is, I wish you could spend more time on this. But you might say, well, then wait a minute. Is the Old Testament just a big mess? Right? Was the Old Testament misleading? Are we, are, are, why didn't the disciples get it? Why did they envision this after reading the prophecies? And then it's, it's this. It's simple. The answer is simple. This mystery that was there in the Old Testament, but hidden, it was hidden in the typological language and world of the Old Covenant. That's just the way it works. There was an Old Covenant. 
You didn't just talk about all new covenant realities as though the new covenant was here. That was impossible. You spoke of new covenant realities using old covenant language. There was no other way around it. Not only was it hidden in the typological language, but when the, when the, when the realities came, then they could look back and, and almost reinterpret, but see what was hidden behind that typological language, and it came to light, and the veil fell off the Old Testament. And sadly, there, are, there, are still, there is still a, a, a segment of Christianity that doesn't see the veil falling off the Old Testament. We still cling to those shadows and not seeing its fulfillment in the new covenant Israel and the church. But not only was it hidden in the typological language, it was hidden in the telescoping language of the old covenant. So when you look way into the future with the telescope, you can't bring everything into focus all the time and see what's behind what and and how much distance there is. And so the disciples didn't see the process that had to happen. The coming, the gradual coming of the kingdom. But all these things Jesus is making clear. This is the mystery that has been revealed to us. Now, what is the mystery of Christ? What is the mystery? Paul answers. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs of what? Of the kingdom. Members with the Jews of the same body. Partakers of the kingdom promise, the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Which throughout the book of Acts is the gospel of the kingdom. It is easy for us today to think of the church as something essentially Gentile. If not essentially American rather than Jewish. Now, I'm not saying we should think of it as essentially Jewish, but we need to remember the Jewish roots of the church. We need to appreciate those disciples and their question there in Acts chapter 1. We need to remember the Jewish roots of this, even though we're all Gentiles here. The Jewish roots of the kingdom and stand in humble awe that we, the wild olive shoots, have been grafted contrary to nature into Israel's cultivated olive tree. Rather than be arrogant, entitled, as Paul would put it, we ought to stand in humble amazement at the fact that it is in this way, as we are being grafted into this olive tree, it is in this way that the kingdom is being restored to Israel. Miracle of miracles, how can it be? But it is. In this new covenant Israel, there is now, there is now, neither Jew nor Gentile, for we are all one in Christ Jesus, as Paul says, and if we are Christ's, then we are Abraham's offspring. Our psyche now is bound up in part with that name Abraham. Heirs of the kingdom according to promise.
Now, I just want to say before I read these two closing scriptures, brothers and sisters, if we can understand this, the whole of scripture will open up to you. You can read the old, you can read the new. We can see the miracle that God has brought about in us. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he has called. And when we read that, we might say, no, let's be the Jews right now. Let's be the Jews. But then he says, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And so we respond as Paul does in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And I hope you say these words with me, at least in your heart. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can we can claim the God of Israel. That when we hear the God of Israel, we hear our God. That when we hear chosen people, we hear a people that includes now us as Gentiles. And Lord, you in your sovereignty have worked throughout history, electing, choosing, not arbitrarily, but according to the infinite good pleasure of your will, which we do not grasp or comprehend, but we would today humble ourselves before that. And as a people who at one point would have prayed, would have said, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. Now we stand in amazement that you call us to this table, this Lord's Supper, to eat and to drink the body and the blood, the tokens of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have done it. You have done it. And so we pray that you would work these things in our hearts, that this would humble us, that we would not be arrogant, entitled in any way, and that as we grasp your unmerited love and choice, that we would look for the ways, that we would learn the ways to live for you this afternoon when we go home. And how we talk to our to those around us. That we would examine by your grace the thoughts of our hearts. That we would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to live kingdom lives. And to bear witness to that kingdom to others around us. We pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts now to take of this meal as we sing, as we pray, as we meditate, and all that you have revealed to us in Jesus' name. Amen.